want to start off today asking a question, and you don't have to answer, but I want you to think about it. What battles are you fighting right now? Think about what that battle might be for you. It might be a relationship battle. Man, my, my marriage is in trouble. It might be a family battle. Uh, me and my kids are at each other's throats, especially with summer and the heat. It might be a job struggle. I don't know if I'm going to get laid off. I don't know how I'm going to provide for my family. It might be a health issue. I got that diagnosis from the doctor, or I'm waiting for news, and I don't know what's before me. There is some battle that you're fighting today. And if not, you are a blessed individual, because the world that I live in is full of battles. And we just have to be able to figure out how to face them. Some people would say, well, if everybody has these battles, why would I follow God? What difference does it make if I'm going to have battles either way? Well, today we're going to look at an old, old story, learn a new, new lesson, and apply it to us. So let me tell you about a battle that I fought as a, a wee toddler. Uh, this battle was the battle of the shadow. Because uh, worry tends to give little things a big shadow. And here was my battle every night. I don't know how old I was, like, you know, barely young enough to remember. But uh, when I laid down in bed at night, my mom would turn on a nightlight in the hall. This is ridiculous, but you, you'll get the point, right? And the, the light cast a shadow, and it looked in my young imagination like an arm reaching out. And so I can never get to sleep, because like the boogeyman, he's going to get me. He's made light, apparently. Right? So every night, it was a struggle. This was my battle. I was afraid of the boogeyman, because his arm was reaching out. And at some point, my mom realized that I was not asleep, because that's what moms do. You went to bed two hours ago, why are you still awake? And so I had to fess up eventually. Um, this arm is reaching out to me. And so my mom, in her wisdom, said, no, 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 that's not the arm of the boogeyman. That's the arm of God's guardian angel reaching out, and he's protecting you all night long. Isn't that such a mom thing to say, right? <laughs> but the stupid thing is, it worked. <laughs> so we're, oh, okay. And I was out, right? This is how simple it can be when we're young and we make fun of things like that. But I was afraid of that light. I was afraid of that shadow. And just a simple rephrasing of that made me no longer fear that shadow. Unfortunately, as we grow up, those shadows get bigger and nastier and, and more real, do they not? Those shadows tend to take on different meaning and have real threats, not just imagined ones. And so today we're going to look at a real threat that was dealt with by Moses and the people called Israel as they faced the Red Sea. Now, I'm telling you this is retold because we've heard these stories since we were young, and, and here's part of the challenge that we face in church. We have to be age-appropriate. We're not going to go tell the kids all the gory details, right? And so when we package these things, we go, Moses, yes, this. Isn't this fun? Doesn't this look like something you want to jump in the middle of? Yeah, because you got Moses, he's got a staff, you got horses, what's not to love, right? You got the Sphinx, you got the little map of where they went. Any idea of what death and desolation was as a result of this story? It's phenomenal. Any, any imagination that you can, you can put on this is probably pales in comparison to what really happened there. And the fear and the panic in Israel was very real. But they figured out how to deal with it. So... How did they do that, and what can we learn from that? Well, here's the problem. Let me, let me set the stage for you. This is what the Israelites were seeing at the edge of the Red Sea. 
Now, that sounds very kid-like, but let me give you some more details. So, Israel, who had been slaves for hundreds of years, was finally freed, and they're roaming their way to the Promised Land. Roaming being the key word. It was not a direct route. They were out there in the desert, wiggling around. God directed Moses to take them to this spot right by the Red Sea. Now, if you have hundreds of thousands of people on foot who are not trained to maneuver together, these are ragtag slaves, these are old people, these are kids. Imagine your family vacation times, I don't know, 600,000, right? Imagine Disney World trying to get through the park with 600,000 people. That's the leadership challenge that Moses faces. So God tells him to move through this desert, and they end up in this spot where their back is against the sea. The front is faced with mountains with passes. It's not a good situation if you need to maneuver quickly. It would be like being in a movie theater and, and all the aisles are filled up with like golf carts that shoot machine guns, right? Who thinks of this stuff? <laughs> Who is this guy? I don't know. Where did that come from? We'll put we'll that part out. Just imagine it's very tough to, to maneuver. So Pharaoh, in, in his wisdom, has let the people go. He decides that, man, I'm missing my cheap labor, actually my free labor. Let's go get him back. Now, this is no small threat. Pharaoh has the most advanced army at the time. He has the most advanced weaponry in these chariots. This was like the, the Abrams tank of the day. I mean, this is, this is some good stuff. And who is he up against? The Israelite army? No. He's up against families of slaves for hundreds of years. These people have no training. They have no chance. And this is what they see. They look up and they see this. What, how would you feel? There you are with your kids trying to gather everybody together. Your back's at the sea. The only way out is that mountain pass, and there's hundreds of chariots in it. So you get a sense of the abject fear that they must have felt. So now that we know the setting, we're ready to read Exodus 14, 10 through 14. And this is where we start today. This is where we'll park most of the day as we read this section of text. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians will, you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. These are the words of God for the people of God, and for these words we are grateful. Did you hear what they said? It would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. It would be better to be slaves for generations and for my children's children to be slaves than to be free and follow God. That's really what it boils down to. But how often do we fall in that same trap? God, it would be far better for me just to be comfortable doing my daily grind. You want me to do what? You want to make disciples? Well, I don't like to talk to people. Guess what? You don't have to talk to people to make disciples. More on that later. Uh, I don't have time for that. I've got all this other stuff that I need to do. And it's more comfortable for me to be busy 
and to be about the kingdom. Ouch. Because ultimately it's the kingdom that's going to be important. Now I'm not saying that we're not all busy. I'm not saying that we have important things that we do, but can we not synergize? Can we not find creative ways to make disciples in the midst of our lives? I think we can. I think sometimes we just want to serve comfort more than we want to serve the king. And I am chief among you, by the way. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you. So as we look at this verse, this great fear that has gripped the Israelites, there's a fear formula in here that we can use. So whatever battle you're fighting, whatever fear has gripped your heart, there's a formula. There's an antidote that I'm going to give you today. No charge. All right, so here's how we find it. We're going to highlight some of these words. Look at what he says. Moses says, do not be afraid. Stand firm. You will see, and the Lord will fight for you. So here's the thing about uh, Moses in this situation, and, and this is good for any of life, by the way. Whenever you see a crowd of people that are scurrying, that are in panic, that are in fright, have no idea what to do, and there's one person that has a cool head and says, don't worry, there's two possibilities. The dude is either flat out crazy, or they know something you don't. Moses was one of those that they probably thought he was crazy, but he knew something that they didn't. And so he starts with, don't be afraid. And that's the first part of our fear formula. Don't fear. Don't fear. Now, why did Moses start there? Think about what I just said. He's got hundreds of thousands of people, families, slaves, no training in maneuver warfare or maneuver period. It's just absolute chaos. And he's got the world's mightiest army bearing down on him. If he doesn't say, don't be afraid, if he doesn't instill a sense of peace, there's going to be chaos, and then there's going to be bloodshed. Let's just say that. So he has to instill this, don't be afraid, up front. Now, each one of these is going to have a Bible verse that you can read along, uh, and, and this will be up on our website if you want to download this, or if you want to take a picture of the final slide, it'll have the whole fear formula. But let me just read a couple of verses out of Psalm 27. The, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? That would have been handy at that time, would it not? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advanced against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Get this. But when an army besieged me, my heart will not fear. You think the psalmist knew this story? When he wrote this, I suspect he did. Don't fear is the first step, because let me tell you, panic is not a good strategy. Panic is going to lead to things that you never intended to have happen. It's going to lead to chaos. It's going to lead to disorganization. Panic is not a good strategy. So we start with, don't be afraid. Don't fear. And we know that because God is trustworthy. And that's the grounding that we have in any situation. Now, if it were me, and I were talking to you, and we were under less, say, emergency circumstances, I would probably put this last. Because I would want you to hear the other stuff. But Moses needs to immediately instill this sense of peace and order. The second one, he says, stand firm. But here's my question to us today. Stand on what? In, in American culture, we are very proud of the John Wayne mentality, right? I can do it all. I'm He-Man or She-Woman or whatever. My Marvel characters are a little sketchy right now, so maybe some of the younger kids can help me out and 
make me cool again. <laughs> so we tend to stand on our own strength. And that is not what Moses is saying. Moses is not saying, hey, uh, buck up, buttercup, and pull yourself up by your bootstraps, put on your fight face, and let's get this on. That is not what he's saying. He's saying, saying stand firm in the God who created you. Now, for us today, we have the advantage of several hundred years later, and we can look at some other teachings, and Jesus Christ is the one that I look at first. What does he have to say about standing firm? This is a familiar passage to you. Oops. That's what happens when you give me triggers. Um, this is a familiar passage to you in Matthew 7. It's the parable of the builders. And rather than read it to you, I just want to highlight a couple of things to you. You may or may not be familiar with this, but Jesus tells a story about uh, two builders. They both build these magnificent mansions. One is built on the foundation of sand. The other is built on a foundation of rock. Now, what he says is, when the wind and storms come, the one that is built on the foundation of sand will crumble, but the one that is built on the rock will stand. And then he goes on and he tells the meaning of this parable. Now, get this as a Jesus follower. Sometimes we think that we should be immune from these battles. Sometimes we think we should have an extra degree of protection that we shouldn't have to fight at all. That's just not the world that we live in, is it? So listen to the difference. If you are built on the rock or built on the sand, rain and wind will come. If you uh, choose to build wisely, you will stand. So again, what, what difference does it make? It only makes a difference if I will stand. But here's the key difference, and this is the part that we miss. Because we think, oh, I want to build on the rock. So that means I have to be strong. I have to set up my IRA. I have to set up my retirement account. I have to have good insurance. None of this is bad. I'm not making fun of it. But here's the key difference that Jesus explains in that parable. The only difference is that those who hear and do my words are the ones that built on the rock. So let me see if I've got this straight. The only ones that are going to survive are those that not just hear the word, because everybody hears the word. You're hearing the word right now. But unless we go out and we put that word into use, we're still building on sand. We haven't made it to that rock yet. So let's not just be hearers of this word this morning. Let's be doers of this word. And when we leave this place, know that we're built on a rock. And no matter when the rain and wind comes, not if, when the rain and wind comes, we will not crumble. Stand firm. The third part of the fear formula is to look up. Now the text says that the Israelites looked up and they were very afraid. The problem was they didn't look up far enough. <laughs> they looked up and saw chariots. Moses looked up and saw God. It's a matter of how far are we willing to look up. Because you can look at the current circumstances and you can be bogged down and you can be tied up in anxiety or you can look just a little higher and know that there's a God who is not surprised by whatever's going on in your life. A God who is not afraid. A God who has a plan. A God who has more than abundant resources to take care of whatever army is facing you. Is it an army of death? Is it an army of health concerns? Is it an army of family problems? I guarantee it's not bigger than God. So looking up, Psalm 121 is uh, another great song. Again, these people are, are smart enough to know 
what happened in this story when they write these things, you'll recognize this psalm. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. None other than the maker of heaven and earth. That's a pretty good source of help. Listen to this. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And it goes on to say that how no harm can befall you because this Lord watches over you. So when you have problems in life, don't look at them. Look above them, and they will seem a lot smaller. Just like that shadow was such a small thing in reality, but our world has made it so big. Let's go in reverse order. Don't look at it. Look at God and watch your problem shrink. It doesn't go away. It doesn't take away the sting of what's going on in your life. I know this. I know things are still going to be hard. Which leads me to my last point in the fear formula. Let God. Let God what? Let God do a lot of things. The first one that it says in Exodus 14, 14 is let God fight your battles for you. God will fight for you. But here's the tendency that I have. Maybe you fall into this camp too. Oh, God's going to fight for me? Awesome. I'm just going to sit back and watch. Oh, see, we're still in the battle. That's the part that we forget. God will fight for us, but we're still in the battle. Look at every time, if you do a Google search of that phrase, God will fight for you, you'll see several instances in the Bible but in every case, there are warriors out in the field. They're still fighting, but God is fighting for them. This is not a spectator sport. This is participating in this situation, whatever it might be. So let God fight, but don't get in his way. I, I love to watch these, uh, I know, again, sick, but... I love to watch these, uh, they're called uh, breakdowns in active self-defense, and they have all these uh, videos of like police that are trying to, to take down suspects and all this stuff. And in this one case, this police officer had this guy, they were struggling, and this well-meaning civilian came up and tried to help by like body tackling. I think probably played linebacker in college or something. Ended up blottoing both of them, <laughs> taking both out. They're just mad scramble because now the, the police uh, man who had the guy no longer has the guy because this guy came out of nowhere and just blotted him. So if you're going to fight with God, fight in a way that is cooperative, not against God. And I say this because so many times when I feel like I'm in a fight, oh, I'm going to let God do it. I'm going to let God do it. I'm just going to be here to support. Ah, no, he's not doing it the way I want to do it. And I step forward and I try to do it myself. And I know I get in his way. I know I make it more complicated than it needs to be. This is my experience, and maybe it's not yours. But we got to let God do the fighting, understanding that we're still in the battle. So then the second part is we also have to let God guide us. Even if he says, I want you to go and camp in this mountain pass with your back to the sea. God, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But you know what? <laughs> You're God, so okay. Because God knows in that place his glory will be seen. So we have to let God fight. We have to let God guide us. And then we have to let God direct us. So if you're in the fight, you don't just stay static. You listen for the commands. The other part that I did not read is uh, Exodus 14, 15. And this is one of my favorites because I can just hear God's voice in this. Uh, just to, to, lend, to end up uh, in 14, verse 14, it says, The Lord will fight for you, you need only to be still. 
read verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. See, the Israelites are like, Okay, I'm just going to sit here and see what happens. No, I'm still directing. I'm still directing this battle. And now it's time for you to move. But we have to be listening. We have to be in tune to the commander to know when it's time to move or when it's time to be still. Because if you read the full account, God never leaves them unprotected. The angel that was walking and guiding them circles around to the back and holds that set of chariots off. And over the night, Moses stretches out his staff, and the wind comes up and drives a path across the Red Sea. God is not surprised by any of this. God directed them to this spot. He knows exactly what's about to happen. And then these hundreds of thousands of people walk across on dry land. And these highly mobile, weaponized chariots that weigh a ton start to follow. Now, how well do you think these things float? Not. How well do you think an armored soldier would float? Not. You tell me God doesn't know what he's doing. If you mess with God, you get the results. And so as the Israelites cross, the sea begins to come back. And every Egyptian, did you, did you hear that part? When, when Moses promised the Egyptians, you see today, you will never see again. The world's mightiest army with the most advanced weaponry was beaten by the God of Israel and a bunch of ragtag slaves. That's power. That's the guy whose side I want to be on. So we have to let God fly out and be God. Because if God isn't God, then something else is. And if something else is my God, I'm going to be in trouble. I'm going to be in a fight by myself that I probably didn't need to be in. I'm not going to stand firm. I'm going to crumble. My family might crumble, my business might crumble, my relationships might crumble. But if I'm in this fight helping God, if God is fighting for me, if I'm standing firm on the rock and I'm letting God be God and I'm looking up, I can't be beaten. Which one sounds better? So let me ask you this. What battle are you fighting today? That's where we started all this. You've thought of something in that early moment. I want to encourage you to take this moment. Give that battle to God. Let God be God. Stand firm. Look up. Recognize that the Lord will fight for you. Give it over to Him. Maybe saying, Bill, the situation is too far gone. You don't understand. You're right. I don't understand. I, I don't know all the details of your life like you do, and I never probably will. Here's what I do know. God is faithful. God is powerful. God has proven that he is trustworthy. You're thinking, okay, God, well, maybe I'm a little too old. I should have done this years ago. You're right. You should have done this years ago. But here's the thing. That would have been the best time. Here's the second best time to do it. Right now. Why wait? I'm too old. There's too much water under the bridge. I can't change. Well, the good thing is that it's not up to you. God will change in you. God will change you. I posted something on Facebook that I want to end with. There's a quote by the evangelist D.L. Moody. He says this, Moses spent 40 years thinking he was somebody. He spent the next 40 years thinking he was nobody. And he spent the next 40 years seeing what God could do through nobody. Don't we? 
Let God fight for you. Look up. Stand firm. Let God be God. Will you pray with me? God, we all face battles. Some are real. Some are imagined. Some are terrifying. God, not one of them is bigger than you. I pray for every individual here, God, that whatever we're going through, that we would face it with you. That we would trust that you are a God who knows, that is not surprised. That you are a God who moves and who fights for us. I pray that you would open our ears to listen for you, to follow where you lead. That we would be right in sync with what you have planned for us. And God, as we experience this thing called life and the trials that it presents, I pray that you would work through them all draw us closer to you. Make us stronger, not because we just survived a, a skirmish, but because we learned to trust in the God, the creator and maker of heaven and earth. There is no stronger. There is no greater. There is no wiser. God, help us to tap into that and then let the world see who we are as we live that life and let that be the first and foremost way that we go and make disciples. God, teach us to love Love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And help us let you be God. I pray this in Jesus' name.